If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Faith That Moves Mountains. In John 6.63, Jesus said, The words I have spoken unto you are spirit and they are life. God's word that is conceived in your heart, then formed by the tongue, and spoken out of your mouth, becomes a spiritual force releasing the ability of God within you. When God's creative word is spoken from your heart and faith, all things are possible to those who believe. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 in the Amplified. Jesus is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outrain or radiance of the divine, and he is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. Our Heavenly Father wants us to learn to imitate him and release faith in every word we speak. Words are containers. They transmit substance called life or death. It matters what we say. The kingdom of God works on a word-faith principle. The word of God works when we work it. Words are the building blocks of the universe. They initiate God's activities in the earth and are the framers of our own world that we live each day. Mountains in our lives are moved through speaking faith-filled words. In this episode, we will explore the wonderful world of words. Words appear to be commonplace in this society we live in, but they are greatly underestimated. Through biblical text, we will see the proper use and place words have in our lives. It is through words that our personal worlds are formed. Words break us or make us, save us or destroy us. Christianity is known as the Great Confession. Now we'll begin to see the reality of our place in God's creation. Until we grasp this reality, how can we ever hope to function in that position? Through the great redemption that Jesus acquired for us, We have been restored back into relationship with the glorious Godhead. 
The Bible teaches us how to operate in this realm of speaking God's word. This may be new to you, but God has been doing it from all eternity. Now the Father God is extending an invitation to us, his children, to join with him in this creative act of speaking his word in order to create his will in our lives. Soon we will discover the impact words have upon our lives. I believe that many tragedies can be avoided if we would just learn to bridle our tongue. The concept shared in this episode may require a paradigm shift for you. I would like to encourage you to be open in your heart and examine the scriptures for yourself. I truly believe that your appreciation and understanding will grow in what our words can do for us and what our words can do against us. Finally, we will discuss some of God's great spiritual laws that govern the universe in our lives as well. It is so critical that we understand their operation and practice in order to prevent us from misusing them to our own detriment. It will soon shock you how we as Christians are so careless with biblical principles. When we go shooting our mouths off, we are setting spiritual laws into motion that will shape our future. I believe that when you have finished going through this episode, you will gain a greater respect for what our mouths are capable of doing. So let's now jump into this episode in the wonderful world of words. Created in the image of God. We are spirit beings created in the image of God. This principle is absolutely essential to understanding faith and its biblical operations in our lives. God made mankind in his class. Not that we are God, but we are his offspring, as stated in Acts 17.28. Since faith operates out of the heart of God's people, our introduction to faith begins here, understanding the human spirit. Genesis chapter 1.26 Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So according to Genesis 1.26, God has given mankind dominion over the earth. How was man to subdue the earth and exercise this God-given dominion primarily through the use of words? Notice in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19 to 20, whatever name man gave the animals, that was their name. Unfortunately, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, Adam and Eve obeyed the words of the devil and transferred that God-given authority over to him, according to Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Man was the god, small g, of this world until they committed high treason and sold out to the devil, according to 1 John chapter 5.19. Psalms 8.4 states, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, or in the Hebrew, a little lower than God, Elohim, and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to rule over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Some think that the fall of man has released us from any responsibility of fulfilling this great commission from God over his creation. The fact that David was quoting Genesis shows that it is still our responsibility. God's spiritual law stands true, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable, according to Romans 11.29. But the devil stole, Jesus restored. In Romans 5.17, it says, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, 
how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? When Jesus was functioning in his earthly ministry, he exercised spiritual authority over the devil and the natural elements. He caused water to be turned into wine, multiplied bread and fish to feed thousands, raised the dead, cast out devils, healed the sick, and stilled raging storms. Jesus did all these things by the Spirit of God through faith as an example for us to walk in. John 14, verse 12 through 14, 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. If that has not restored dominion, I don't know what is. Here are just a few examples of the power of attorney given to us through the name of Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, Mark 16, verse 17 to 20, Luke 10, verse 18 to 20, and Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 8. All these passages of scriptures reveal the power of attorney in action, which is delegated authority. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. And Jesus has given us his name to use on his behalf. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Let it be said of us, as it was said of the Apostle Paul and his company in Acts 17.6, these that have turned the world upside down are come here also. Through Jesus, we have been restored to a rightful place of spiritual authority. Satan may be the small g God of this world system, but he is not God over me, in my finances or over my body or in my house. Spiritual authority is released through faith-filled words from our spirit. A really interesting passage of scripture in John 10.34, Jesus was quoting Psalms 82.6, which reads, I said, you are God's, small g, you are all sons of the Most High. Previously, I read from Psalms chapter 8, verse 4 through 8. And you notice that the word heavenly beings, this is the NIV translation, in the original Hebrew is the word Elohim, which is the name for God. The translators put angels, but Jesus said that we were made a little lower than God himself because he was quoting Psalms chapter 8, verse 4 through 8. Ephesians 2, 6 says that we have been seated together with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Being at God's right hand is being in a position of authority. Give the devil fits by using the name of Jesus. Zechariah 12.1 The Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth, and who forms the spirit of a person within them. Isaiah 57.16 I will not accuse forever, nor will I always be angry. For then the spirit of a person would faint before me, the breath of that person that I have created. John 4.23 Jesus said, Yet a time is coming and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Created as a three-part being, God originally created humanity in his image and likeness. As we have already pointed out, God is a spirit being, and we are spirit beings like him. Our relationship with him is spiritual through faith in God's word. Yes, it can be expressed through the soul and body, but it must be directed primarily through our spirit. For most Christians, it's the other way around. Jesus said that the time is now for us to worship and serve God by our spirit, not just our soul and body. Let's now take a closer look at the reality of our human spirit. 
People are created as a trichotomy, just as the glorious Godhead is referred to as the divine trinity. We are not just a physical body, just as the Godhead is not just the Father God alone. I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. The Godhead is comprised of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three parts to identify is spirit, soul, and body. It is essential for us to grasp this reality in order to understand how faith works. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some are led to believe that people are just a dichotomy, two-part beings, consisting of soul and body. They believe that the eternal aspect of a person is their soul, will, intellect, and emotions. Scripture, however, points out that there is as much difference between the spirit and soul of a person as there is between their soul and their body. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. According to the scripture, the soul and spirit of a person can be divided or distinguished as separate entities. Only through God's word can we make that distinction. Something needs to be pointed out here. Humanity is the only creature in this class on earth. The animal kingdoms are not spirit beings. They are physical beings that are driven by instinct. Some animals seem to exhibit rudimentary soul-like qualities, but they fall far short of a person's capacity and potential. 2 Peter 2.12 But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like brute beasts, they too will perish. Jude 1.10 Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Second Peter 2.22 Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. The fall of mankind has brought them to the depths of baseness. At times people act like an animal. That does not mean that we are animals. Saved and unsaved, we will all have to give an account to God one day. But the Bible makes no reference to this for animals. Some false religions say that when people die, they come back to life as an animal or another person. Then there are some cults that say when a person dies, they don't exist anymore. The Holy Bible does not teach any of these false doctrines. When an animal dies, there is no afterlife for that creature. It just ceases to exist. But I believe with God all things are possible that God could resurrect our pets to be with us in heaven forever. However, when a human being dies, only the physical body perishes. His or her spirit and soul lives on for eternity in either heaven or hell. For more Bible reading on the resurrection, please read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 to 21, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 to 18. Hebrews 9.27 states very clearly, just as a person is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Acts 24.15 I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear between God and men. To illustrate this point even more, let's look at a real account recorded in the Bible. Jesus shared a real story of what happened to two men, the rich man and Lazarus. This is not a parable like some think. A parable of Jesus would always start off with this kind of verbiage, Mark 4.30, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? 
or what parable shall we use to describe it? Jesus would use a like or as as a comparison also known in English grammar as a simile. Jesus narrated a true story concerning a rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 verse 19 to 31. Jesus said there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. These were people who actually lived and Jesus narrates the fate of both of them. So let's now look at some of the highlights of this story that Jesus narrated. The two men died physically and they went to a place in the heart of the earth. The rich man went into hell and Lazarus went into Abraham's bosom. One was in torment and the other was comforted. They were even more acutely aware of their surroundings after death. The rich man could recognize Lazarus and evidently knew it was Abraham at his side. The rich man still had his memory and expressed emotion for his brothers who were still on the earth. So with his physical brain rotting in the grave, how is it that he had memories and emotions? No, those aren't part of the brain. They are part of the human soul. The spiritual realm is more real than the natural realm. Consider the incarnation of Jesus Christ, who was and is and who is to come. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 to 24. What about the transfiguration of Jesus when he had talked to Moses and Elijah in Matthew chapter 17 verse 1? What about all the people who are raised from the dead, particularly Lazarus, his friend? Luke chapter 8 verse 55. All these incidents reveal the reality of the unseen spiritual realm. But just because it is unseen to the physical senses doesn't mean it's not real. It was the unseen realm that created this natural realm that we live in today. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is what the ancients were commended for. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The whole purpose of faith is to take the unseen and make it seen. We cannot see words, but faith-filled words will reshape our world into something beautiful, full of God's life and blessing. As I've mentioned before, faith is of the heart or the spirit of a person. As we speak words of faith from our spirit, mountains will move out of the way. The impossible becomes possible. In order to operate in that realm, we must understand that we are spirit beings and learn to operate in that realm. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? When the Bible refers to believing with your heart, in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, it is not referring to the muscle that pumps blood throughout your body. It's talking about your human spirit. Where is that spirit located, you may ask? Well, the Bible has the answer. In Proverbs 20, 27, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. That's the King James Version. Jesus said in John 4:14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I will give him will be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. In John 7.38, Jesus goes on to say, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The heart in biblical context refers to the very center 
of a person's being, in his or her spirit. The new birth is the rebirth of the human spirit. The spirit of a person is actually born again, according to John 3.3 and 2 Corinthians 5.17. The new birth is a spiritual circumcision, or cutting off of the old sinful nature, Romans 2.29, Colossians 2.11, Titus 3.4, and Acts 7.51. It's the spirit of a person that has the very life, love, and nature of God in it, Romans 5.5, 1 John 5.12. It's with our spirit that we believe, Acts 16.14, 2 Corinthians 3.3, Romans chapter 10, verse 10 through 11. It's with our spirit that we worship God and do His will, Ephesians 5.19, in Ephesians 6, verse 6. It's in our spirit that the Holy Spirit Himself dwells. Our body is the temple of our spirit and of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3.16 and chapter 6, verse 19. So let's define the three parts of a person in more detail. We are a spirit, and conscience is the voice of our human spirit. We have our soul, which is comprised of our emotions, will, and intellect. Reason is the voice of our soul, and we live in a physical body. And with our five physical senses, we contact this material world. And feelings is the voice of our physical body. With our spirit, we contact God. With our soul, we contact the intellectual realm. And with our physical body, we contact this physical or material natural world. Conscience is the voice of our spirit. It is the inner moral compass that tells us what is right and wrong. Hebrews 10.22, 1 Samuel 24.5, in chapter 25, verse 31, Acts 24.16, 1 Corinthians 8, 7, and 1 Corinthians 10, verse 25 to 27. If a person is born again, then his or her conscience is a safe guide. The conscience of an unbeliever is seared and corrupted, permitting them to do whatever they want. 1 Timothy 4, 2, Titus 1, 15. When we understand ourselves in the light of God's word, a greater sense of unity can be achieved between our spirit, soul, and body. Each part of us, when functioning in its proper place, is a blessing. For example, we need our physical body to allow us to move and operate in this natural realm. But suppose our body did not listen to our mind and did whatever it wanted. Our soul allows us to communicate and operate through thought patterns. But suppose it tried to take the place of our spirit, try and function in the spiritual realm. Unfortunately, many Christians are carnal, which means to be body-ruled. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1-5 through 5. They still live to satisfy the appetites of their flesh. Other Christians are so dominated by their mind that everything has to be logical, based on physical evidence before they believe anything. Like doubting Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 24-29. Yet some Christians become so spiritually minded that they're no earthly good. Operating correctly in both natural and spiritual realms makes us an explosive force for God. To achieve this harmony amongst our three parts takes time and is the true gauge to spiritual maturity. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, 
not built by human hands. Remember, the inward person is eternal. Our minds are renewed day by day by the word of God, according to Romans 12 verse 2. Even though our outward body, the earthly tent we live in, is wasting away, aging, we have a promise that we will be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. In the meantime, the Holy Spirit quickens, makes alive our mortal body, even though someday we will lay it aside for a new spiritual outfit, according to Romans 8.11. Here is a list of spirit beings other than human beings, as mentioned in the Bible. Well, the obvious is the glorious Godhead. In Matthew 28.19, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Then there are elect angels. And within the angel group, there are seraphims, Isaiah 6, verse 2 and verse 6, and cherubim are mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. And there are archangels, Jude 1, 9, Luke chapter 1, verse 19. And there are fallen angels, Lucifer and one-third of the angels who rebelled against God, Revelation 20, verse 2, chapter 12, verse 4, and Jude chapter 1, verse 6. There are demon spirits, unclean spirits, as mentioned in Mark chapter 3, verse 30, evil spirits of infirmity in Luke chapter 13, verse 11, religious spirits, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, and many others. So we've been talking about people being spirit beings created in the image of God. However, in order for our spirit to grow, we must learn how to feed our spirit the right diet. Consider the old saying, you are what you eat. This is definitely a true statement in a spiritual context. Spiritually, we are what we hear, see, and read. So let's feed on God's word. It's our spiritual food. As we meditate on the scriptures, our spirit is nourished and built up. Many Christians are great about feeding their physical bodies three hot meals a day, but feed their spirit only one cold snack a week and wonder why they are weak spiritually. If we will just let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, according to Colossians 3.16, faith will abide in us richly. Our faith level can be measured by the level of God's word in us through Bible meditation, according to Joshua 1.8. Matthew 4.4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalms 119, verse 103, How sweet are your promises to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. There are four steps that we can take in order to develop our human spirit. I learned these from my precious minister of God and found them to be very effective in my life. Number one, meditate on the word of God, which means to speak it out of your mouth continually. Number two, practice the word of God in your life. Number three, put the word of God first place in your life. And number four, instantly obey the voice of your human spirit. As we train our human spirit, we will become more conscious of our spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit in the affairs of this life. God does not want us to wander through life aimlessly wondering what his will is for our lives. God's word is God's will for us according to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. But what about the specific areas in our lives? What car or house should I buy? Should I marry this one or that one, etc.? Jesus sent the Holy Spirit from the Father to live and abide within us forever. It is through our spirit that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us in this life. Primarily, the spirit of truth will lead us by an inward witness or an intuition or a knowing. 
It will register on our spirit as a smooth piece or unction to go ahead in a certain direction. He also leads us by an inward check, like a red light that says stop, look and listen, or a piece to go. Please read Romans chapter 8 verse 14. It matters what we say. Proverbs 18.21 The tongue has the power of life and death, and those that love it will eat its fruit. We are partakers of the fruit of our mouths all our lives, whether we know it or not. We alone possess the power to choose the words we speak. As a result, our lives are either full of life or death. Jesus said in Mark 11.23 that you can have what you say. We are the ones who make the beds we lie in. In other words, I am a product today of the words I spoke yesterday. These truths and more will be covered in this episode. I encourage you to take a close look at the vocabulary you use and examine whether the words you speak are working for you or against you. Psalms 19.14 May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Those that say they can and those who say they can't are both right. Words are the most powerful thing in the universe. The words we speak will either put us over or hold us in bondage. Unfortunately, when it comes to prayer, many of us pray the problem instead of the answer. We bind God's hands from working on our behalf because of our unbelief. Praying and speaking the problem only makes it bigger and releases the devil to enforce it more in our lives. We need to train ourselves to agree with and only speak God's word out of our mouths. Matthew 12.36 Jesus said, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, careless word in the Greek means useless, barren, idle, and an inactive word. Words that are void of faith. In the latter part of Romans 14.23, it states, And everything that does not come from faith is sin. We live in a society that is very loose in their choice of words. It really does matter what we say. Since I have studied this subject in depth, I have come to the realization that my life can be dramatically different by choosing to speak God's word instead. As I said before, I am today based on the words I have spoken yesterday. Some people think that this whole issue of right speaking and believing is a legalistic bondage. Yet I have watched their lives and seen the defeat their careless words have produced. What I mean by careless words, I mean simply speaking words that are contrary to what the Bible says about the situation. Very often, these people will speak what they feel or what they see in the natural. Some go so far as saying what the devil says about them, like, I'm a failure. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I'm nothing. In an effort to be humble, they shoot themselves in the foot and block the blessings of God in their lives. I remember this one song I heard that goes something like this. This is my confession, Lord, that I am weak, so very weak, but you are strong. The problem with this song is that it creates two separate groups, the Christian on the one side wallowing in weakness and the Lord on the other side in strength. The Bible brings us together in Christ so that we can say, according to the word of God, I can do all things or everything through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 Yet it is true that apart from him, we can do nothing. According to John chapter 15 verse 5, but some Christian circles major on that and confess weakness according to their definition of spirituality. 
That kind of talking robs people from God's highest and best for their lives. So many Christians live beaten and defeated lives, and it's manifested by their conversation, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Don't ever allow a single word to come out of your mouth that contradicts what God says about you through his holy written word. Mark it down. It's a spiritual law. You will have what you say, and if you don't like what you have, then change what you're saying, and keep speaking what God says. Proverbs 21.23 He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Proverbs 13.3 He who guards his lips guards his soul, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Some of the tragedy that comes into our lives is the result of words that we have spoken over and over again. We will study faith in more detail further on in this season. But one thing I should note here is that faith works like a seed. The moment we release faith-filled words, it takes time for it to produce the substance of what we hope for. Jesus would often say, according to your faith, be it unto you. Examples in Matthew chapter 9.29 and Luke 17.19. Faith can work in reverse just as much it can work in the positive because it's a spiritual law, like gravity. Like natural laws, it has no respect for persons. If we cooperate with the law, it will bless us. If we violate and abuse it, the law can kill us. Take, for example, like I said, the law of gravity. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This principle of faith denotes a continual act of hearing the promise over a process of time. In other words, just saying it once will not produce any results. So it is with speaking doubt and unbelief. It won't produce death right away. So if we make a mistake and say something negative by mistake, don't worry, we are not cursed by saying it one or two times. However, if we keep on saying it as a lifestyle, I will never do anything right, or Johnny, you will never amount to anything, or you will have an accident if you keep riding that motorbike, mark it down, the law of faith will eventually bring those words to pass. Faith comes by and is expressed through and brings substance to words. I believe that God operates and deals with our lives according to Scripture. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say that God is responsible for bringing tragedy and accidents into our lives in order to teach us some deep spiritual lesson or accomplish some sovereign purpose in order to make us more humble. We also blame the devil for negative events that take place in our lives, when oftentimes We have made the bed we are sleeping in today. Words will work for us or against us. According to 1 Corinthians 10.6, it states, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Speaking of the Israelites in the Old Testament and the mistakes that they had made, educators say that we should study ancient history in order to keep us from repeating their mistakes. This principle is already found here in the scripture. There are countless examples of people recorded in the Bible who got into trouble with their mouths. The most significant and far-reaching example that comes to my mind is the story about Moses and the people of Israel who had just come up to the Jordan River to spy out the land. It is important to note that God had already promised on oath that he had given the land to the people of Israel. The whole purpose of leading them out of Egypt was that God had given them a land that flowed with milk and honey. Well, they finally got there, and Moses sent 12 spies into and to check out the land. The interesting thing to note here is that God never mentioned anything about the giants and the fortified cities. The Israelites must have thought 
that they were just going to walk in and take it all over and it would fall into their lap. Well, they were in for a big surprise. However, along the way, in their journey to the promised land, God demonstrated his awesome power over and over again. So there should have been no doubt that God was with them, and if he had said the land was theirs, it was. Numbers chapter 13 verse 27 to 32. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. Let me ask you this question. Why would the Bible refer to the testimony of the ten spies as a bad or evil report? Let me suggest to you that it was not so much the testimony about what they saw. Well, in the natural, it was true. The people were powerful and they lived in fortified cities. Now, please get this. Faith never denies the existence of circumstances. It denies the circumstance from exalting itself above the word of God. It was the conclusion they came to that was sin. They had promises from God on one hand and the report of the ten spies on the other. You see, the report went beyond facts to a subjective opinion that rejected God's word for them. Notice in verse 32, they said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. The image of defeat was still in their hearts from Egypt, and it was released out of their mouths. God delivered Israel out of Egypt, but he could never get Egypt out of most of them. This same poor self-image plagues the church today. They keep focusing on their own weaknesses and mistakes and inabilities instead of reaching out in faith to God's promises to put them over in this life. Let's be strong and courageous and take God at his word. So what about what God had promised them? Instead of embracing God's powerful promise, they embraced the evil report of the spies that went beyond reporting facts and proclaimed, we can't attack those people. However, Caleb said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Those that say they can, and those who say they can't, are both right. Words are the most powerful thing in the universe. The words we speak will either put us over or hold us in bondage. The majority spoke the problem, and the minority spoke the promise. When it was all said and done, the majority got what they said and died in the desert, and the minority received what they said and entered into the promised land, but 40 years later. Delay does not mean denial. Numbers 14 verse 1. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This would be so sad if it wasn't so pathetic. There is another principle I would like for us to see, which Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 and 34. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. 
for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. Jesus said whatever is in our heart is going to come out of our mouth. The words we hear on a continual basis, be it faith or doubt, comes from hearing words. And those words will eventually register in our spirit. Once those words are in our heart, they will in turn come out of our mouth. And those things which we say will eventually come to pass, whether good or evil. The principle of believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth is found in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, which concerns salvation. The same principle is true concerning death and defeat as we just illustrated. Words can originate from our head or our heart. Thoughts which are translated into words that are in our head may have been placed there by people or the devil. But until we speak them out for ourselves and take ownership of them, those seeds, words, and thoughts will die unborn. The people of Israel took ownership of that evil report by repeating it out of their mouths. That was a choice that they made, and that report got into their hearts. We can choose to accept or reject the evil report. As a result, they had sinned and rebelled against God, as Jesus said, according to your faith be it unto you, and they got what they said. Numbers 14.28 The Lord said to Moses, So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert your bodies will fall, every one of you twenty years old or more, who were counted in the census, and who had grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for forty years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. Remember the scripture, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit, Proverbs 18.21. They received the fruit of their lips, they spoke death, and they received it. Yes, it matters what we say. The people of Israel were without excuse, and so are we. There is no excuse for doubting God to perform His word and His precious promises. So what if there are giants in the land? Our God is an awesome God. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also along with him graciously give us all things? I like what Joshua and Caleb said. Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. So don't be too surprised if religious Christians want to stone you when you start talking victory and disturb their pity party of doubt and unbelief. The confession of Caleb and Joshua was an expression of their heart. I'll say it again. Your confession is the expression of your heart. Faith says that we receive what we believe in our hearts and speak out of our mouths. This is known as the spirit of faith, according to 2 Corinthians 4.13.
I like what God said about Caleb in Numbers 14.24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. What words do for us? They do three things for us. Number one, locates us spiritually. Matthew 12.34 and Proverbs 16.23 You can locate a person by what they say, if they are in faith or in fear. Number two, sets the landmarks of our life. James 3, verse 3 and 4. You will never rise nor experience God's blessing beyond your confession of God's word. If you say you can't, then you can't. And number three, words we speak will affect our spirit. Proverbs 18, verse 4 and verse 8. Words that we speak are like seeds that are planted in our heart and will produce in time. So many Christians have never dared to confess who they are in Christ. Since we've been talking about the awesome effect words have, why not start finding scriptures that reveal what Christ has provided for us and start speaking it in the first person? For example, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Since I am in Christ, I am a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Start looking through the epistles, the books in the Bible from Romans to Revelation, for scriptures like this. By simply agreeing with God's word, the things we say will get into our heart and transform our life. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess or confess, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 4.14 Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we confess. The Greek states it like this, Let us hold fast to saying the same thing. Here are some more passages of scripture to read. 1 Timothy 6.13, 1 John 4, verse 15, Revelation 12.11. Christianity is known as the Great Confession. Confession always precedes possession. What's really important for us to understand is that words are containers. If you saw someone with a gun, you would ask, hey, is that thing loaded? Have you ever seen someone shooting their mouth off, wounding people and killing their dreams? There is nothing more dangerous than a person with an unbridled tongue. Proverbs 12.18 Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12.23 A prudent man keeps knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. Proverbs 26.18 Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. David gives a vivid description of words in Psalms 59.7 and chapter 64, verse 3. See what they spew from their mouths. They spew out swords from their lips, who sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their words like deadly arrows. Words contain life or death, faith or doubt, love or hate. Words can actually change and create the very atmosphere of a room. If harsh words were spoken to our spouse or children in the morning, Those words will hang around over them throughout the day. The Bible says in Proverbs 16.24 that pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Beautiful words of comfort and edification will put a song in their mouths and a spring in their step. Proverbs 25.11 A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Proverbs 4.20 My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. 
John 6.63, Jesus said, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. It matters what we say, because the words we speak contain spiritual substances that can produce either life or death in us or others. Just imagine that our mouth is like a gun, the tongue is the trigger, and words are the bullets that we shoot. The next time we take aim with our mouth, let's use this sword of our spirit on the devil, but speak life-producing and healing words over people. Me and my big mouth. Beware of talking too much. Learning the value of silence is really important. I don't mean to be vulgar, but have you ever met someone with diarrhea of the mouth? They are always talking about something or someone. The tongue has the potential to be a destructive or life-giving force. Just based on the law of averages, a person who talks a lot has a greater chance of putting their foot in their mouth than someone who uses words with restraint. James 1.19 Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. In Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19, 18 verse 2, and verse 6 to 7, in chapter 2019. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. Playing around with words is like playing with dynamite. It can get us into trouble real fast. Let's learn to be decisive with our words, speaking things that build others up. A mature believer has learned to hook their tongue to their heart rather than to their flesh. People who just rattle off conversation from off the top of their head are just asking for trouble. To be effective in this faith walk, we must learn to be consistent in the faith talk. As soon as we release our faith-filled words, they will be nullified by speaking the wrong words that are contrary. Developing the fruit of self-control is of vital importance in this area. Proverbs 15.2, chapter 16.23, and chapters 17, verse 27 to 28 states, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. A wise man's heart guides his mouth, and his lips promote instruction. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. A man of understanding is even-tempered. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent, and discerning if he holds his tongue. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. When we utter perverse speech, which simply means speaking contrary to the truth of God's word, we are deceiving our heart and producing a false image within our spirit. This in turn is reproduced in our lives in a negative fashion, even in everyday natural things. For example, don't call things something they are not. That person sure is fat when they are as thin as a rail. James chapter 1 verse 26 in the Amplified, If any of you thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deludes and deceives his own heart. This person's religious service is worthless, futile, and barren. Guard your heart. The words you speak affect your spirit. We know that a double-minded man will not receive his prayers answered according to James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. The same thing applies to someone with a forked tongue. The key to effective faith is sanctifying our tongue to speak life and utter words filled with faith, which is God's word. 
being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues according to Acts 2.4 is a great way to bring the tongue under control. Another key way is for us to renew our minds with God's word according to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. James 3.7 states, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. It is so imperative that we understand that the words we speak more than anything else affects our spirit. Have you heard the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said in Matthew 12:37, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus has said through this passage that words determines our eternal destination. Harsh words spoken by others against us will not affect us as much as when we agree with their testimony against us by speaking those very words over ourselves. The only power Satan has against the believer is deception. He takes full advantage over our ignorance of God's word. The areas of truth we are ignorant of are areas of darkness we are walking in. Psalms 119, 105 and verse 130. We are just sitting ducks, just waiting to be taken advantage of. Ignorance in the body of Christ concerning this subject has had its toll in our lives, and it's time for us to open our eyes and start bringing our mouths under control. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, saith the Lord. I've heard people say, well, I guess I am catching a cold. I sure don't feel very good. The devil came knocking on the door of their body with physical symptoms, and they just opened the door wide, wide open, and said, come on in, Mr. Devil, put that flu on me. I've been expecting you. Our words gives authority to God or the devil to move in our life. Speaking God's word releases the ability of God in our life. Speaking the words of the devil releases his ability. Speaking God's word brings faith. Speaking the words of the devil only brings fear. You may be wondering, how in the world could I speak the devil's words? Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day in John 8.44, You belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Any thought or word that we hear from others that is contrary to written revelation of God's word is a lie. Jesus said in John 17.17, Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. The key to true biblical sanctification is for us to wash our mouths out with the word of God. Which begs the question, Have you washed out your mouth with the word lately? When those conflicting thoughts come, and it comes to all of us, which are contrary to God's word, speak out bold and loud what the Bible says about that issue. The key to knowing what is counterfeit is to know the genuine so well that the false sticks out like a sore thumb. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So getting back to the principle of words affecting our spirit, let's look at some scriptures that really illustrate this truth when we put them together. Psalms 45.1 My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. Proverbs 3.3 Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 2 Corinthians 3.3 You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So have you ever wondered what instrument is used to write upon the tablet of your heart? That's right, it's that red thing in your mouth. The tongue is the instrument that we use to instruct our heart and sow seeds that will produce in time after their own kind. Proverbs 18.8 The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. You know, there have been times in my life where I've had to eat my own words. I'm sure you have too. I said something rashly and had to apologize. Actually, whether we realize it or not, we are eating our words every day. Words are like a boomerang. They will come back and hit us. Now, I'll be the first to admit that it takes maturity not to be flaky about this whole area of watching our words. People can push things to the extremes and get into bondage. Just follow the guidelines that are laid out in Scripture and trust the Holy Spirit to bring about the right balance. Proverbs 18.20 and chapter 12.14 From the fruit of his mouth a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips he is satisfied. From the fruit of his lips a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands reward him. A primary way to guard our heart is to watch our language. We need to be in the habit of asking ourselves, Is this the way Jesus would talk? Am I talking the language of the world, the flesh, or the devil? Is my conversation full of religious tradition that is embalmed with unbelief and failure? Let's be diligent in checking up on the content of our speech. Many Christians are tripping on their lip, not knowing why they are receiving and experiencing less than God's best in their lives. Rather, let's be consistent in speaking life and blessing instead. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22-27. I like what it says in Proverbs 4.20. I'm going to read this again. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. The Word of God has a lot to say about words, and for good reason. As we have been discovering together, words that we speak are picked up by our inner ear and transferred directly to our spirit, which affects every area of our life. Here are some examples of types of speech to avoid. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 4 and chapter 4.29 Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. Let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, as is fitting to the need and the occasion, that it may be a blessing and give grace to those who hear it. We all know that foul language is sin, 
but we limit that to just swear words that the world uses. When people start talking doubt, unbelief, and failure, that kind of talk is just as apprehensible as cussing. Romans 14.23 says, And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So often we limit God with our finite thinking and speaking, which is very insulting to the Lord. Let's get our mouth in agreement with the Bible and do just what Jesus did when he was on earth. Quote, For I do not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Now let's look at 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we thank God continually because when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God which is at work in you who believe. In the process of time, we can train ourselves to only speak God's word in every situation, because perverse speech is speaking contrary to God's holy written word. We won't know what that is unless we spend time reading, studying, and meditating the Bible until it dwells in us richly, according to Colossians 3.16. Now, if we are going to speak doubt and unbelief, we might as well just cuss, because it's just as bad. People who talk a lot are usually guilty of one or more of these three sins. Number one, foolish talking. Mentioned in Ephesians 4.28, which in the Greek means useless, silly talk, idle speech, foolishness, buffoonery, dull or stupid, absurd, and heedless speaking. This kind of sin is typical of adolescents and people under some kind of substance abuse. It also includes jesting, or trying to be witty in a vulgar sense, corrupt talk, which is worthless and rotten. Number two, evil speech, mentioned in 2 Corinthians 12.20, Proverbs 20.19, Proverbs 10.8, and James 4.11, which includes but is not limited to gossip, whispering, tailbearing, slander, defaming, evil report, infamy, scandal. This kind of speech is directed towards others with the express purpose of hurting and destroying their reputation and dragging them through the mud, or what others have called character assassination. Number three is vain speech. Ephesians 5.6 and Psalms 59.12. It means untruth, a sham, deceit, falsehood, a lie, empty words, and long-winded speeches. That's what is stated in the Greek. This refers to people who are always talking about who they are, what they have, and what they are going to do. James 4 verse 13 to 16 basically talks about boasting and bragging about themselves. Not good. Most sins are committed by mankind are sins of the mouth, which is an expression of the heart. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. You may ask yourself, how do I know if what I am saying is wrong? In Ephesians 4, verse 20 to 31, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then it goes on to talk about getting rid of bitterness, anger, rage, slander, malice, and brawling, all of which have its main expression through the mouth. If what you say grieves the Holy Spirit inside you, repent, and don't talk like that anymore. Another gauge is found in Colossians 3:15 to verse 14. And now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in us as we learn to walk in love and holiness. So is what we say in line with love? 
that standard found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Sanctify our mouths. You may be wondering, what does all this have to do with faith? The principles of faith are wrapped up in the use of words, particularly speaking in line with God's word. We must sanctify our mouth to speak only the truth, otherwise we are just fooling ourselves if we think we will be successful in operating in faith. Either we talk like a Christian or we talk like the world. We can't expect to be walking in faith if we're still talking junk all the time. That is why I took the time to define what kind of speech we need to purge out of our lives so that our words will be true and decisive, in order to release the force of faith in our lives to its fullest potential. Inevitably, some people will say, well, that just puts me in bondage. Having to watch my words? But you don't know what bondage is until you just say anything you want to. That's the greatest bondage you can get into. So many today have not understood the power of their words. Words are the most powerful things in the universe. Here's an illustration of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 verse 5 through 24 and verse 57 to 66. Going along with the theme we have been studying on It Matters What You Say, let's look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth who were old and never had any children. God wanted to use this couple to bring John the Baptist on the scene in order to prepare the way for Jesus. As a result, an angel of the Lord visits Zechariah in the temple when he was on duty as a Levite priest. The angel told him he was going to be a dad. But look at Zechariah's response. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Remember the principle Jesus revealed in Mark 11.23? In essence, we will have what we say. Therefore, in order to keep Zechariah from messing up God's plan and nullifying it by his own doubt-filled words, the angel took the power of speech away from him. From the time of that encounter with the angel until the time the baby was born, Zechariah could not talk. Now some people think that the angel did that to him as punishment for doubting. I'm of the belief that he was kept from speaking any more negative words that could abort God's plan. But some say, oh, but God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to. That is true in one sense, that God has the ability, but God cannot violate a person's free will. He sovereignly made that rule and make mankind obey him forcefully, nor can God violate his own word. So to keep Zechariah from messing everything up, the Lord shut him up until the promise was fulfilled. Remember what happened in Numbers 13 with the children of Israel when they spoke death out of their mouths? They could not go into the promised land. That kind of delayed or messed up God's plan, didn't it? Psalms 141.3 Set a guard over my mouth. O Lord, keep watch over the doors of my lips. Proverbs 13.3 He who guards his lips guards his soul, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Psalms 34.11 Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Here is a good confession to make in Psalms 49.3. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The utterance from my heart will give understanding. Here's another one in Psalms 37.30. The mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom, 
His tongue speaks what is just. The law of his God is in his heart. His feet do not slip. Notice that these scriptures mirror the word of faith principles in Romans 10.8. When we put the word in our mouth, it will get into our heart. One reason why our physical body is out of control is because our mouth is out of control. We have all found ourselves in some of the biggest predicaments and wondered how we got there. Here is a principle we can bank on. Decisions determine our destiny. We may have to live with the decisions we make, but have we ever thought about the factors that lead up to those decisions? One primary factor is, yes, you got it, words. I hope you have realized by now that all this talk about words is solely based on the Bible because it has so much to say about this subject. Here is something that surprises many folks. The words that we speak controls our physical body. It creates thoughts in our minds and affects our human spirit. We have already discussed that last point, so let's now look at how words affect the physical body. Medical research has discovered that the part of the brain which controls human speech is connected to every nerve in the body. The words we speak about ourselves can even affect our health and what our body does and does not do. James 3.2 We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Our body is controlled by the words we speak every day. It's simply acting out the words we spoke over it yesterday, and the day before that, and so on and so forth. Desire is created through words. Have you ever talked yourself into something? That is why marketing is big on words and slogans in order to manipulate people into buying their products. They are sold through words. How does brainwashing take place anyways? Through words that are spoken over and over again until they become truisms. In a Christian context, this is a good thing. Romans chapter 12 verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice that our body is presented unto God as a living sacrifice through the renewing of our mind with the word of God. Patterns of thinking produces corresponding behavior. However, this is a learned or developed response based on environmental influences. For example, let's take a young person who watches eight hours of TV and listens to four hours of rock music a day or is surfing on the net for many hours. What is taking place based on this kind of input in his or her life? Garbage in and garbage out. Let's examine the process here with the following flowchart. First, you have input, influences, ears, and eyes. Words produce mental images, pictures, and visual images. Next, that information gets processed by producing thoughts in our mind and images in our spirit. As a result, we get the output, which are actions corresponding behavior in words and actions. And finally, consequences. Good or bad, the outcome is either life or death, blessing or cursing, we reap what we have sown, good seed or bad seed. In Proverbs 23.7, it states in the King James Version, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Our words produce images in our minds, our imaginations, that will result in action in time. Whenever we hear the word like dog, Immediately, our mind creates a mental picture of a dog. 
The type of dog our mind brings up will be based on our experience and the knowledge base we have of dogs. Suppose we say to someone who is really hungry, boy, I can't wait to go to lunch. I'm going to have this big, fat, juicy hamburger with all the toppings. After a few minutes of describing this wonderful lunch we're going to have, this person we are talking to will have all kinds of physiological reactions like salivating, lip smacking, nervous movements, etc. Do you see how these words created this wonderful image of delicious food in their mind? And as a result, their body was ready to run out the door and have one of those things. As we study psychology, we come to understand that the brain determines how the body will respond. But take one step back. The mind is stimulated by words, which we hear from others, especially from words that we have heard out of our own mouth. These principles are all biblical, as seen in the Holy Scriptures. Let's read on in James chapter 3. It goes on to say in verse 3, When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. By this passage of scripture, the words we choose to speak based on the influences we have subjected ourselves to, which have an effect on our mind and spirit, will set the course of our lives. We will find ourselves living out the confessions of our lips. It matters what we say. It would behoove us to pull back on the reins of discretion over our mouths more often. Just speaking off the top of our heads can set things in motion that we will regret in the future. Spiritual maturity can be measured by the content and quality of conversation a person engages in. Just read James 1.26. Our lives are dominated by the words we speak, whether we are spirit-ruled, soul-ruled, or body-ruled. It will be evident by the words we speak. We can locate people by simply listening to their words, whether they are in faith, fear, doubt, or unbelief. James 3 verse 5, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Just think of it, the tongue has the power to set the whole course of a person's life on fire. The words we speak set the landmarks of our lives. We will never rise above the confession of God's word. Words fix the direction and destiny that we will arrive to. Deuteronomy 30.19 and Joshua 24.15 I like what Jeremiah 1 verse 6 and verse 9 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched his mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. If we don't know what to say, then speak God's word. Speak the end result and not the problem. Speak the answer and not the circumstances. The tongue can get us into big trouble, or it can produce and release the life of God in us. Job chapter 38 verse 2, chapter 40 verse 4, and Numbers 12 8. It matters what we say. For most of us, we need someone close in our lives to pay attention to what we are speaking and provide loving and constructive feedback. Certainly, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit will help us in this matter. Remember, the words we speak, especially what we say over and over again, will set in motion what we experience in this life and in the life to come.
I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life Study Series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.